We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. So I'm here with international master Christoph Zelicki. Um, he's probably best known uh, for his YouTube videos. He goes by Chess Explained and just puts out an amazing amount of quality content. Um, lives in Germany um, and just great video that inspires me both as a teacher and helps me learn. So Christoph, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, Ben, I'm happy to, to be on your on your podcast. So I was digging into your background a little bit. I've seen your videos, but didn't know that much about you outside of them. Um, you live in, do you live in Hamburg, Hamburg or outside of Hamburg? Uh, not at all. Oh, really? <laughs> where, where did you get Hamburg? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not at all. I'm, I've been to Hamburg in my whole life, I think, two times. But um, I'm currently living in, uh, in Dienstlaken, which is a very small town. We have around uh, 65,000 people here. It's a small town outside Duisburg, which okay. maybe somebody could know. So this is like half a million in population. Um, it's near the, the German um, yeah, industrial area, which we call 
ja, reine Ruhr-Area hier jetzt. Basically, um, the, the big area in Germany, which had all the, the steel mills and coal plants and so on. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's near that, near that area. It's more like in the, in the middle of Germany, western middle part of Germany, where Hamburg is, uh, yeah, close to the North Sea coast. Um, I've been to Hamburg for Chess 24, like <laughs> once, but, um, otherwise there's no relation to that city. Oh, interesting. I wonder, I wonder where I came across that. I'm going to blame someone else, but uh, I'm <laughs> not entirely sure who to blame at this point. Um, so did you grow up where you currently live? Um, yeah, this is actually true. I've, I've moved back to, to, to the city here or this town, probably <laughs> the correct term. Um, only last year in 2016. And, uh, I'm, I'm now living, uh, like, like a three minute walk from the place where I grew up. I basically came back, came back here. Um, which is pretty nice. You, you, you know, you know your way around. And, uh, yeah, I've been living in Duisburg, which is like 15 minute drive for a while, but I'm, I was, um, um I wanted to, uh, to move away from there. And, uh, it happened that I found just a, just the right place near my uh my, my home home area yeah it's pretty pretty nice also where my chess club is located so it fits very well i was going to ask what is uh the chess culture like there yeah i mean germany has a pretty rich um chess club culture i think yeah there are many chess clubs around um usually every yeah every city town whatever has has a chess club or even more than more than one um, and, I mean, in general, I think uh, chess clubs experience that um, that the internet is a, is a big competition. People play a lot online nowadays, so a chess club is a little bit of a different. I think has different, um, yeah, let's say different different points than it had like twenty years ago. Twenty years ago, it was the place to go to to play chess. Nowadays, it still is a little bit, but I think you have to. Um, also offer other things. Yeah? So um, just to play a game, you just need to log on the internet. So um, we, you should try to offer other things. There yeah? some social things, people meeting people, also some 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 teaching activities. Yeah, I'm the our um, our chess clubs coach. By the way, I'm having a monthly um, lecture and so on. Those kind of things you need to offer to people. To make a chess club attractive, yeah, okay, we're not exactly <clears throat> the St. Louis uh, uh, Scholastic and Chess Club, or what's what's the name is? Yeah, we're not exactly that, but we try to do good things for our our club members. Yeah, I'm a board member of the Pittsburgh Chess Club, and we definitely struggle with the the same issues. Um, the the, mm. the core members really like it, but uh, bringing more people in is a constant challenge. Yeah, it's not easy at all. I mean, there are so many people nowadays. Um, that are yeah picking up chess from the internet. They somehow learn about chess while browsing browsing the internet. Maybe they saw I don't know some broadcast of Magnus Carlsen playing. They get interested in it and they play online. And I've had um, people um, who take online chess lessons uh, who never actually sat at a real chess board. Yeah, yeah, I've had a couple of those as well. I try try to steer them towards it, but you know, mm -hmm. I mean, chess is well suited for the computer. There's there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the the challenges it creates for chess clubs is an unfortunate side effect. Yeah, it is. I mean, I always advise people to to really also play over the board and go to a club. It's a, it's it's just nice to meet meet people, but it's also good. It's also good for your chess because. Um, you meet people, you talk about the game, you analyze a little bit together, exchange ideas. 
it's just extremely um extremely rewarding thing to do so uh, and most most people do but not all of them i mean of my students but uh, not all of them actually enjoy the, the 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 club life let's say some say okay that's nice but i rather play a little bit online here and there it's also a matter of how many time you want to dedicate of course right um, and how did you get into chess um i started uh, so, so long ago it's not even true right um i started pretty late actually when i was like 13 13 years old and um i was always uh, as long as i can remember i knew the rules yeah my um my dad and my granddad they they, they played chat just like i mean just like like once a year or something but they knew the rules and they taught taught them to me but i never really played maybe like a couple of games but then they had a like a chess um group at my um at my school and i don't know at that at that time it was kind of uh, um for 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 me and my friends this was kind of an interesting subject yeah trying out different games you try all kinds of things yeah, from billiards to to darts or whatever and chess was one of them and somehow i, st I stuck with chess it fascinated me and i immediately yeah i know got books and so on and it kind of all started uh, from there then i joined the chess club and yeah, you get the first competitions and if you are a competitive person chess is a pretty pretty addictive thing yeah because if you work hard on the game you will improve in some way and um well <laughs> this is um this is what it is yeah you 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 start with it and you you somehow yeah you get stuck with it <laughs> right. in some way yeah, I had a similar experience. I also started, I started when I was 12, so around the same age. Yeah. And it just mm -hmm. felt like it was a part of me right away. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, your interest waxes and wanes as you, uh, grow up and, um, start to have adult responsibilities. But, uh, it's, you know, it always feels like home to, to play a blitz game online. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it it's just, um, uh... It's it's really tough. I mean, if you nowadays uh, that I'm a, a professional chess teacher, um, it simply never happens that I have a day where I've I've not uh, have some kind of chess related thing. I mean, like getting an email or playing a game or whatever. It just absolutely never happens. It's yeah, not a, it's not a single day. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> I hadn't even thought about it, but I'm probably in the same boat. That's funny. Yeah, it is some some kind of thing always happens. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of amazed that uh, that there was one day during now during the Christmas uh, period um, that I, there was actually one day where I didn't get a single email about chess. I was really like, is that really my inbox? Yeah. <laughs> Usually you get some kind of like a student uh, having a question or a rescheduling or whatever, something. Yeah, but there was absolutely nothing. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't really remember when that uh, when that happened before. Well, I hope that doesn't mean the business is, is falling off. <laughs> No, I said, uh, I'm just starting uh, again now in the new year. I had a couple of days off over Christmas, over the holidays, which was uh, quite enjoyable. And now, um, yeah, starting starting back, uh, uh, starting again now in, in, in January, of course. Nice. Well, I'm eager to hear about your chess business and your teaching business, but let's um, let's first um, catch up on your timeline. So you, you started late, and I know you got the IM title in your 20s, right? No, um, a lot later actually. <laughs> um, um, I only got it in 2012, so it's oh, just wow. like five, five years ago, um, which was um, really late, uh, with, and also a little bit due to my own, uh, yeah, so, like inabilities and uh, 
having a little bit of bad luck at times. Um, I, I made, um, actually got to the, that playing level of an international master. I got uh, to that in 1997, actually, when I, when I broke the 2400 um, uh, ELO rating barrier. I was 23 at the time, so quite okay. a long time ago, almost 20 years ago. But the problem was back then, um, you needed three international master norms. You still do. And back then I had two. And um, um, actually the two should have, have should have counted, should have been enough. But there was some weird feeder rule that I needed a third norm. It's fairly difficult to explain. It's related to double rounds and weird things. It's really, I mean, you, you learn to, you feel like if you go into the feeder rule book, um, you feel like uh, you just have, uh, yeah, you need a, like, study the law for two years or something to understand what's in there. Um, anyway, what it came down to, I just needed one norm. Um, and the, the bad thing was that right at that time, um, I started to, to work. Yeah. In, uh, <laughs> um, and well, before that, when I was a student, um, I mean, you know, you had, you had time in some way, but then when you start to work for real, for real money, you have less time. And I always thought, okay, I'm going to make that third norm at some point. And in fact, I missed it like, I don't know, five, six times, always by half a point. Um, sometimes uh, being just extremely idiotic myself. <laughs> like, right. I remember one case where I needed uh, just half a point more in a, in a team event. And it, uh, it boiled down to me uh, allowing a stalemate in a rook endgame where I was like three pawns up. It was totally stupid. So I made many stupid things to to avoid getting the title. And finally, I got it in, in 2012, which was a really long time ago. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, a long time ago is the wrong term. It took a long, a long while to get that, to get that final norm. But, um, the, the playing strength was there for like 20 years. It just took, took a long time to get the, the actual, actual diploma. <laughs> right. Okay. So a bit of a formality, but you still have to do the work. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy that it um, that it that it worked out. The funny thing is, yeah, I made this final norm in 2012, in 2011 actually, but I got the title in early 2012. And after that, the next five tournaments that I played, I, I made norms in five of them, which was useless, of course, right. because I had the title already. But it was like, oh my god, yeah, how easy is it, yeah? Right. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Now that you don't it's, need it. Yeah, yeah, but this is this is uh, what I what I what I heard is pretty common. Yeah, that. You're kind of missing, missing very, very narrowly, and then once you've you've got it done, uh, you, you, it feels like uh, it's so easy. It's probably the same thing with um, like maybe like in track and field. Yeah, if you jump over a certain uh, like a two meter, thirty centimeters, once you jump over a certain uh, a certain mark, you, you manage to do it all over again. Yeah, but uh, the first time is, uh, is the hardest one. Yeah, or like in relationships, they say that like. You know, if you have a girlfriend or a wife, you the opposite sex finds you more attractive um, without even talking. Somehow they just know. <laughs> okay. Um, so were you traveling for chess uh, while you were trying to get that third norm or was work stopping you from traveling and just playing local events? I was I was mostly playing the team events. Actually, I always uh, was heavily involved in in uh, in the league business. This is uh, completely different to to the US where there is, uh, as I understand, no league system. I was always playing the German league, the, the Dutch league, the Belgium league, everything that was possible. And um, you have chances in all of those leagues to score a norm. Um, and back back then, I mostly, um, I didn't travel all that much, which um, from 
Yeah, from today's perspective, I don't quite understand why I didn't do that more because only when I um, started my, my teaching business, I started to play tournaments abroad and I combined the, the vacation time with the, with the chess tournaments, which is very in Europe very nicely possible. You can play like in Spain, in Italy. I played in Slovenia last year. So you have some nice vacation time, but also can play a very nice uh, chess tournament. I didn't do that while I was working um, back in the bank. Um, I only started to do that the last couple of years. I don't quite understand why I didn't do that earlier, to be honest. But now I enjoy doing it. I play like one or two tournaments a year where I combine yeah, some some tourism <laughs> with uh, with chess. Pretty nice. Yeah, it does sound quite relaxing. And I know that uh, in Europe, it's much more common to just have one game a day. So it could really be a, a pleasant existence to be playing in a tournament while doing that. Yeah. Yeah, you, I usually try to, to do tournaments or, or select the tournament that it actually works well together with the, the touristic ideas that, that you have at that place. For example, um, there are tournaments, um, they have like one round a day, just one double round. And um, the one round a day is usually like in the evening hours, which means that you can basically spend the whole day yeah, go go sightseeing or whatever, whatever you want. It depends on the place where you are, obviously. But um, you have lots of time then, and this is nice to do. Really, it's um, something that um, led me to some some interesting travels last two or three years. Pretty nice. And did you have a favorite place that you went to in your recent travels? Um, there were. I mean, I, I played a, a couple of really uh, nice tournaments. Um, the nicest tournament that I played was definitely the Open. Bavarian Championships. This is um, done um, at a very scenic lake in, in southern Germany. Very nice, very nice place. And the tournament is fantastically strong. Not quite sure how many GMs they have. I mean, when I played there, I was like seated number 50, 45 or something like that. So there were at least 40 players with a higher rating than mine. So it was a very nice event and a very nice, nice place. Um also been uh, been to been to Spain yeah for for chess which is also very nice in the summer the only worry is uh, that it might be too hot yeah <laughs> if you're outside right. you're completely uh, you feel like uh, your brain is boiling um, yeah I also been to Slovenia last year which is uh, one of my favorite countries in Europe I, I visit that quite often and uh, the only issue there again is the, is the heat sometimes in the summer so. This is something that I will probably avoid this year, not going to a, a summer time tournament, rather doing something um yeah um in the maybe in the in the spring, yeah, where it is already nice weather but not too hot. I I try to go to places where I haven't been before. For example, it sounds a bit weird because uh, it's just a three hour drive from my from my place. I've never been to France for for, for longer than a day. So I'm trying to this year to, to visit France for chess. And uh, this is what I try. I like <laughs> go to new new countries if possible. Yeah, and I imagine you can film YouTube videos on the road if you need to, and do some some lessons online and stuff like that if need be. Possible, yeah. But if I travel, I usually uh, don't do any lessons. I know that some teachers do that, but I really tend to. Um, yeah, I think um, you need some some days off. Yeah. And um, if you continuously um, do 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 the lessons, it's uh, it just just doesn't help you to relax, and, and you need to. Yeah, I feel like 
um, if you, I mean, it's, it's the same with you. If you, you teach chess also, um, you're kind of happy once in a while not uh, <laughs> that you don't have to have to teach like all the time that you need some 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 days off i probably think you you are um, you have like um when, when when the kids have their 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 holidays yeah their vacation time then you probably also don't teach yeah i think it's better for the teacher and better for the students if you're uh, mm-hmm. rested and uh, appreciating the opportunity to teach them yeah so what was you mentioned you worked at a bank uh what did you do there yeah, I was um, I was working in in a bank for what was that seventeen years, pretty long time. Yeah, sounds long. Um, yeah, I was I was in a bank, but I wasn't doing um, like core bank business. I was working in um, in controlling IT controlling. We were mostly yeah tracking IT expenses, IT projects. Um, yeah, I was also doing lots of yeah more IT related work than than controlling related work like designing. Um, IT systems, testing them, yeah, things, things like that. It was uh, very much um, working with uh, yeah, big Excel spreadsheets, things like that. <laughs> yeah, it was um, it was okay. I mean, it's not that I didn't, didn't enjoy my work, but at the end, um, it was basically a given that uh, that uh, that bank um, yeah will be shut down. And nowadays, I think they are down to like one hundred or one hundred and fifty people still left. Um, yeah, th- that company got got shut down basically, and um, um, I needed to 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 get a new job. And I felt if you um, this is uh, the opportunity to try to try out uh, chess as a job and see if it works. It was the kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity, I guess. So I think I thought, okay, I should try it. And um, this is this is how it happened. Yeah, I, I basically was let go from the bank and. Uh, this is how my chess teaching business uh, began. Okay, and you're still you're still standing, so that's good news. Yeah, for almost three years now. <laughs> it's like in uh, in one month it will be uh, yeah three years. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's 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 really okay. I'm really really happy with uh, what I'm doing. So it was an, an excellent decision to to try this out. And um, this is also some some advice that I can give to basically everybody. I mean, okay. People who are listening to this uh, podcast will be chess players, uh, most likely. And if it's about, if they think about like doing something on their own, uh, being being your own boss, uh, it's something that if you feel there's a realistic chance of doing that, like be it with chess or something else that you are good at, um, it's definitely something you should try out. I mean, if it does not work, I mean, it will not have fatal consequences. Yeah, okay, you shouldn't take. Uh, like enormous financial risks or things like that. But if you feel there is a realistic chance of yeah, like living your dream, try it. Yeah, it's, it's, should, it's, you should try it. You can always say, I tried and it failed. But uh, at the end, uh, saying, okay, I never tried at all, is uh, it's not a good feeling, I, I think. Yeah, and there's only one way to find out. So I, yeah, yeah, it's it's the only way. And you can, you can absolutely, in, in, in most of those things, you can absolutely not predict how it will be. You just have to start it and and see what happens. Yeah, I'm now doing um, things that I didn't really have on the radar when I started. Yeah, creating content for websites and so on. I kind of thought, okay, maybe something like this is happening, but um, it's it's not something you can plan like in in every little detail. Of course, you should have a like a business plan ready, something like that. 
But um, things will also fall into places. If you do good things, yeah, often good things will happen to you, but you cannot plan them. Yes, yes. Um, so when you started, when you transitioned from your working in IT at the bank to teaching chess, did you have any students? And were you already making YouTube videos, or were you starting from scratch at that point? No, what, what I had was the YouTube channel. I mean, the YouTube channel kicked off in uh, July 2011. Um, so almost, um, yeah, two and a half years before I left, uh, I left my, my former day job. The, the channel was already pretty popular at the time when I, when I, when I quit my job. Um, I didn't have any student, no, not a single one. I never took on, uh, took on, um, students while I was still working at the bank. I never felt that that would be a good, uh, good thing to do for the students simply because I wasn't, I couldn't really provide a reliable service at the time because also the work hours were, were notoriously unpredictable um, at the bank. I mean, yeah, you sometimes would 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 stay there like until the evening hours, and um, then a student, uh, yeah, it, it 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 didn't feel right. I wanted to focus on one thing, so I never took on students uh, while still working at the bank. And uh, when I started out, um, I mean, one thing that of course helped was that uh, when we uh, were let go from the bank, we got a, a small compensation package, package. So I knew that I'm not going to be broke in two months. Yeah, that right. was, was very helpful. But, um, it, it, but it, um, it, um, it, it went pretty well. I got, uh, I got some students pretty quickly and even without advertising it all that much. So um, that um, wasn't a big issue to get... Um, Get to get things on the road. And were these local students or students that found you online? I only have uh, a small amount of local students. Um, currently, I think I have like three or four. It's a bit of, it's uh, sometimes hard to tell because I have uh, also some students who do online and over the board. Like we, we switch around what just uh, works better. And um, most, of, most of it is, is online, clearly. It's like eighty twenty or something like that. Okay. Um, and I saw your first English YouTube video where you played Hakaru in Blitz. Um, it was funny. Yeah. I mean, it was really funny because you sit there and it's really, I'm, I'm, I swear, yeah? I sit there and I think, okay, let's start out with doing some videos in English. And I'm doing the absolutely, I sit there, do the first intro in English, and I get Hikaru. This is like crazy. <laughs> it's very funny. That's really funny. I mean, you get uh, probably the most uh, the most famous online blitz player maybe ever. Yeah, <laughs> you get that. Get him in the first game. That was really really funny. Yeah. <laughs> and was that? I didn't actually notice the year. Was that also in 2011? Or yeah, I know you switched from German to English at some point, but I wasn't sure how soon. Yeah, that was 2011. I did. I did like one or two months in German, and then switched to English. Just it, did, it happened pretty quickly because you know. This whole thing was never planned. I mean, as it usually is, the whole thing um, happened. Uh, I can tell you how it happened. Uh, in in the summer of 2011, I was uh, basically, I, can, I still remember this very vividly. I was uh, um, a workmate of mine back in the bank, uh, also a good chess player, roughly a 2,100 player. Yeah, we we were having uh, having um, having lunch and. Uh, we're walking through the park after lunch, and he told to me, he told me, like I would be very interested in in learning how a stronger chess player thinks during a game. 
and you record a video and just tell tell me what you're thinking. And I said, okay, okay, I can I can do that. But how do I get get the video to you? And you just put it on YouTube, okay? Hmm. So I was sitting there uh, in in July 2011, and I was thinking, how how can I do that? And I never actually watched YouTube before. I mean, I knew that YouTube existed, and I watched the odd video, but I had no idea like that like everybody can upload stuff and so on. So I was just logging in there, and I learned, okay, you need a name, and I have no I had no idea what to choose, and uh, it always it was always about the channel name, not like me as a person that I need a name. The channel needed a name, and he told me, "Yeah, um, you, you should explain to me how how you think." So I called it Chess Explained. There was no big marketing idea behind it or something. I just called it Chess Explained. Started the channel, and I gave him the the channel uh, uh, link, yeah, and he watched the videos. He liked them, and all of a sudden, I noticed they they just just don't have like two views, but like twenty or thirty. Like who's watching this stuff, yeah? And it got it got more and more. And uh, like in the first month, really, um, it was like 21st and 30, 40, 50. And I mean, at the time, 50 uh, viewers sounded tremendous to me. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. What happens if I do this in English? And this is how it developed. Yeah? And um, it, um, I never really um, advertised the channel in the, early, in the early going. But somehow, I mean, the YouTube church searches, um, they, they seem to... Um, yeah, have brought up the channel quite a bit. Back then, there also weren't as many chess channels on YouTube. Yeah, there are so many so, good ones. I mean, but yours, yours is quite good. And similar to your twenty one hundred friend, I'm I'm about twenty one seventy five feet. And mm-hmm. it's only through this podcast that I've realized how much I can learn from the YouTube videos. I I knew that they were a thing and they were really popular players, but I think I underestimated. Like how much someone at my level, obviously, if if you gave me lessons in person, you could help me a ton. But since you're trying to cater towards the middle, basically, I didn't realize how how much just by watching people like your videos, um, I I myself can benefit. Um, the the I think uh, YouTube is has become an amazing amazing resource for chess. It's really a, really fantastic. I mean, I, I can really compare this to like five and a half, six years ago when I started out. I, I never really, I, I just, I just put up this channel and started myself, and I never searched what else was there. Only after I had started, like one, one or one or two months later, I was looking for what else is there. And back then, there was Kings Crusher, there was uh, a Chess Network. They are still around, pretty big channels. But there wasn't like the St. Louis Chess Club. There was no Chess 24. There was no ICC, nothing. And nowadays you have uh, many, I mean, lots of strong individual persons who do videos. Yeah, you have John Bartholomew, you have Simon Williams, you have, I mean, countless, countless uh, people really, really good at it. And, uh, and in addition, you have the big websites who do, who, who release many, many, uh, lots of, Free videos. I mean, if you, it's crazy what Chess Twenty Four, the ICC, what they put out for free. Actually, I'm mean, crazy. It's the re- it's the right word. I think uh, they uh, they are really very relaxed about giving out uh, high quality content for free. Yeah, it's amazing. I don't think you could watch it all if you tried. Impossible. Yeah, you you can nowadays. You can really, if you if you want, you can basically throw your TV out of the out of the window, and if you want to watch chess, you can do so when. Yeah, 24-7, basically. 
So was there a point where you realized like that YouTube was going to be a significant part of your business model? Was there an aha moment or just a slow progression? Um, I don't think there was a single moment. I mean, what I um, what I really um, felt was uh, that yeah, lots of people were interested um, in the channel on a very regular basis. That there would be real fans who, who would who would write to me and say, okay. Yeah, I'm watching this every single day. Yeah, I have this now for a couple of years. I, I think close to three years now. I'm putting out those three blitz videos a day. This is something that uh, only very rarely I, I did not uh, manage to keep up. Um, and I know people, I'm always releasing it at 9 a.m. German time in the in the breakfast hours. And many, many German uh, viewers tell me, you know, I'm usually having my breakfast at that time and I'm watching your three videos while I'm while I'm eating breakfast. It's like part of their daily routine and uh, this was an interesting thing to learn that it really is important to 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 people and not not just like okay I watch one of your videos uh, a month or whatever or I accidentally I hit on that and I watched it and but there are really people who who do watch it basically on a daily basis and this was something that uh, was pretty remarkable. That must be a good feeling. Yeah, it's, it's 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 really nice. It's really nice, and you get lots of positive feedback. I mean, the um, you always get negative opinions, but it's it's really not that much. It's it's clearly not a significant. Um, let's say um, I'm lacking a word there. It doesn't really uh, discourage um, a lot. Yeah, the the the, the positive responses are f- um, are clearly the majority, even though. What one thing um, that I that I do experience is that nowadays, um, with all that competition on YouTube, you actually have to fight if you if you want more views, yeah, if you want to want more a bigger audience, you really have to work very hard for that. Yeah, it's just that, it's, a, it's a big competition nowadays. That makes sense. I mean, the, the market is has done a good job of selecting very good teachers. So the most popular channels are just amazing content um yours included but i think all of them have gotten there for a reason so it's uh and people have a finite amount of time so that makes sense um and speaking of the teaching did you uh when you transitioned into teaching did the explaining of chess come natural to you or is it something that you had to work on um i actually think that um i mean when i started in 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 in, in 20 11 with with the uh, with the youtube videos this was something that uh, was fairly new to me i mean i i did some teaching uh, on and off but not um, very steadily i mean for example i um there are in germany you have those train you have licenses for chess trainers given out by the chess federation i did some courses there but um the i didn't have much practice uh, but i felt like when i started out with my first videos the feedback was was quite positive, and also that friend who actually um, asked me to do the videos, he, he totally liked it, and um, I felt that just continue, <laughs> just continue uh, with the way I'm doing it. Also, I have to say that I definitely improved uh, over over the years. I mean, once in a while, rarely, but once in a while, I uh, I sort of stumble on, upon an older video, and I think nowadays. Um, if I do exactly, especially if I cover, let's say, uh, some some GM tournament or the World Championships recently, 
I think I do a better job now than I did five or six years ago. The experience uh, really does help. Uh, you you get better with experience. Yeah. Um, I've really enjoyed your Endgame series, among other things. So if people are looking for something to check out, I, it seems like Blitz Blitz um, Blitz videos are always the most popular, but I, I tend to gravitate towards the ones that are actually instructional. And I was really impressed with the uh, the game selection you had for those. Um, how do you go about um, choosing material for your actual structured YouTube content? Mm, yeah, I mean, I don't do all that much uh, structured content at the moment. It's just a matter a matter of time, uh, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think in most cases, I know it sounds a bit, uh, uh, I know. Um, usually, if I'm thinking about a certain um, subject, I have some games in mind. I have a fairly good memory for for games, uh, player names, and so on. So if you if you give me a, a, some kind of subject, I will almost always um, be able to give you one or two good instructive games. And um, for those that, that I did, I I initially had some idea, and once in a while it also just pops up, um, um, yeah, randomly. Yeah, you have a certain a certain uh, subject that pops up in your own game, for example, and then you do some research on the matter and find a good instructive game. Um, there are many ways of, of getting there. For example, I do this, as I said, a monthly um, um, a monthly lecture in my chess club. Quite often I get to the subjects there through my own games. I will do a lecture in a couple of days in my chess club that is based on a game that I recently played and I selected a couple of very much um, yeah similar games, and uh, yeah this this was the, the the starting point for this lecture. This is also how some of the lessons really get uh, get developed that that I give. Sometimes uh, there's just a single game that I get uh, by the student or a game that I play, and um, and I collect the or I find the uh, examples. Um, um, yeah, usually in chess base, and you have good good searching um searching procedures there but sometimes i just know the games from from my own personal study back uh, back in the day yeah i read through some of your comments on reddit and um shout out to chess reddit and I, I noticed you've been very generous with your time in answering questions there and it was clear that you had quite a grasp of chess history um and an interesting um teaching philosophy so if you don't mind i'd like to read a, a quote i um pulled from there and maybe you can um expound on it a little bit Okay. So this is about your chess philosophy. You said that the game is very difficult and there are only degrees of playing badly. Magnus Carlsen still makes mistakes and learns things about it. GMs make plenty of mistakes. IMs even more so. Games are lost due to mistakes and not so much to brilliant play. This is the essential point. There's no such thing as winning out of nothing due to some ingenious idea. There must be mistakes before for something spectacular to work. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very basic philosophy that I have. Yeah, it's um this this was posted um I think uh, quite a while ago. There was a discussion about uh, how I do my 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 commentary for the blitz videos because I'm always very critical of my opponents and I'm also very critical of my own play. And this is basically what it boils uh, down to. I think it's very important to uh, to understand that in chess wins in chess are always um the the result of mistakes being exploited. There is no such thing as uh, the creation of something beautiful out of nothing. 
there's always some kind of mistake involved. Of course, you can have a great idea and uh, you can try it out. It might not work. It might have a big drawback. This is uh, the case then when there was no mistake before. Yeah, sometimes it's it's a pretty clear um, a pretty clear case. There's a mistake made and it is is it is exploited. And I think um, when I do a commentary of of a blitz game of a grandmaster game, the main thing is to identify what went wrong for one for one side. What did what, what was the mistake that one side made, and then um, see how it was exploited. It's um, I think uh, what I was trying to say with with that with that post. Uh, you should never be uh, thinking that um, yeah games are won out of pure um, genius of one player. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, I think it's well said. I hadn't thought about it exactly in those terms, but it it does um, it resonated with me when I read it. Um, so it, it sounds pretty negative, you know. Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> there was full of mistakes and so on. But this this is what it is. Especially if you if you look at um, if you look at different levels of play, it, it's very very um, it becomes very very apparent if you um, like go down to let's say the scholastic level or the beginner level or so on. They, it's it's pretty clear that those um, players of that level they make lots of mistakes, and they basically offer the other guy the point continuously. Yeah, like you can now have the point, take it, take right. it, and. Sometimes it is not exploited, and they kind of yeah make the mistakes. Um, they kind of uh, let's say uh, yeah pass the ball to one another. Yeah, making mistakes all over again. But it's really important to to always identify, especially if you look at games by strong players. You cannot be afraid to call out mistakes. This is uh, something that happens in in some YouTube channels, for example. I don't I won't name any, but they they just show games and they don't tell. What was wrong with the guy that lost the game? What what did? And this is the basic thing that you need to answer. Why was there a decisive result in that game? Of course, it might be just a perfectly played game and it's a draw. But if one side won the game, the other guy must have made something wrong. And this is what uh, the main thing that needs to be identified. If I play a blitz game and I lose it, yeah, I want to learn what 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 did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? And also in the in the whole process, did my opponent make some mistake that I could have exploited? This is what I want to learn. I mean, just like playing normal moves, and uh, this is not the point. You need to see where where are mistakes made. This is where the points come from. You need to exploit the the mistakes, and they happen in all games, all in on on all levels. It just uh, is rarer for people like Carson, of course. <laughs> right. Um, speaking of uh, a flawless game leading to a draw, did you did you have an opinion about the format of the World Championship? I know a lot of uh, chess players have been weighing in about it. Mm. I I personally think um, that um, I, I read a couple of suggestions. Let's start like that. And in some cases, when you read this, um, it sounds like the system is totally broken, or the system, like what 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 Yasser Sarawan is writing, it, it sounds like this is a total totally wrong, broken system. Um, I I think that uh, this is what happened in game twelve in that match, yeah, that short draw. It was a bit of a shame, of course, but we have to also see that if you look outside of chess, outside of the chess world the chess 
seen. Yeah, if you look at a normal, let's say, news website uh, on the internet. Yeah, if I I, t I use um, in in my case, I would look at a German website, of course, and I look at that, and it's simply not a big deal that they made this draw. The coverage was excellent for that match. There was the the coverage was we had that was that was front page material in German news, really. Yeah, and I mean, I don't see um, that this this is so much broken, and people, I mean, for for a non chess player, it's absolutely unimportant if they made a quick draw. It's just uh, for them the the news was okay. The match is tight. They play a tiebreaker. Oh, that's interesting. But what's happening in the tiebreaker? Yeah, and for for them it's absolutely unimportant. The thing, the situation is bad for especially bad for the people at the actual playing venue right. who pay money for the game. This is really bad. But for the general audience, and which is the the vast amount of uh, people, I mean, we're talking about millions compared to a couple of a dozen people or whatever who paid for the tickets. For them, it doesn't matter at all. Not at all. So I'm not. I'm not really. I don't really believe that the system is like totally flawed. Um, having said that, what I think is interesting and indeed is um, to um, remember or look at chess history a little bit when we had this situation where a tight match meant um, the the title would um, would be defended. Um, those final games were extremely exciting. Yeah, if you look back, the last time when we had this uh, situation that a tight match would mean that uh, the champion uh, keeps the title, that was Kramnik uh, against Leko in, 20, in 2004, which was extremely exciting. Yeah, Kramnik was behind. He tried very hard to win game 13, failed very closely. Um, then he had to win game 14, managed that. It was extremely exciting. Then... Look, look, look a little bit uh, further back. Yeah, then you have the Karpov Kasparov matches. Yeah, you had the final game in 1985 where Karpov um, tried to win against uh, Kasparov's Nidorf with this kind of f4, f5 attack. He had a great attack, didn't manage to uh, to to um, convert this and lost ultimately. Then you had uh, Seville 1987 where where Karpov won game 23. Kasparov got back in 24. It was fantastically uh, exciting, and this is something that um, is is worth considering. Yeah? That if you really want to have everything decided in classical chess, having the tie, uh, yeah, as a as a let's say as a decisive result that the world champion keeps the title, that has some some points. Yeah, I I agree. Um, it's it's a tough issue for sure. I mean, uh. What Yasser said about it not not that it shouldn't be decided. Uh, classical championships shouldn't be decided with um, fast games, no matter what. I mean, certainly you can understand the argument, but uh, it was extremely entertaining on the other hand. So, stuff to say. I'm, I'm, I'm a little, to be honest, I'm a little bit undecided uh, there. Um, I mean, the this this what we now call classical world championship. There was never a classical world championship. Uh, title or anything like that. This is only something that was coined very recently. There was one chess world champion. And I, I personally have no big issue in combining things. And personally, for me, uh, rapid chess is more interesting anyway to watch. So, I mean, if yeah. you give me the choice, watch four rapid games or one, one long time control game, 
I know what I vote for. Yeah, I, I'm with you. As a pure spectator, I mean, I'm not talking about, uh, yeah, like the chess analyst that uh, that wants uh, a deep ending or whatever. Yeah, uh, just like I sit there, I watch. I would take rapid over classical any any time. Yeah, I I agree. Um, so getting back to your chess teaching, um, so you've got your YouTube channel, almost twenty five thousand subscribers, um. And you're you're doing lessons and you stream blitz on ICC. Is there anything I'm missing? Oh, you're are you working on a book? Not at the moment. Now, I, I had my book released in 2015 on the Nimzo and Boguinian, but um, that was the the first and probably last book project. Right, <laughs> it seems to be a theme on this. <laughs> yeah, you you talked to some other guys. With, yeah. Uh, with Moving away from books, uh, Kostya Kovutsky said, you know, he, he loved teaching, he loved creating content, but uh, not sure that yeah. books are the best way to create it at this point. Mm. Yeah, the, the, the main problem is that um, there, there, okay, there is no real problem with books. The, the issue with books is that um, you have basically two choices. Um, you write the book, that's easy to do. I mean, it's hard work, but it's easy to do, but you have to get it to people somehow. So you need a publisher or you need to publish it yourself. If you do it yourself, um, this is an interesting, really, and it's an interesting uh, thing economically to do yeah, because it's not so difficult nowadays to publish a book yourself, printing and so on. It's, it's, it's become a lot cheaper compared to like 20 or 30 years ago. But it's still lots of work and it's not really chess, you know. I mean, you're kind of committing yourself to write this book and doing the publishing, like you have to run ads on it, get it uh, distributed to 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 to, um, um, to whatever bookstores or whatever. You have to do lots of things that are not really chess related. Or you let it publish through um, a publishing company. And um, this is uh, just, um, this, this can be described in a single word, exploitation. Right. You just get exploited by those companies because you get so so little money for your work. It's simply for me, it's a shame. It's just, and I don't understand personally. I don't understand why people write more than one book. I mean, one book is good for the single for the for the experience, but doing more than one, I don't I don't see the point. Yeah, and it's a it's a relatively small market to begin with when it comes to chess books. So it is it is relatively small, and the problem is that I mean you probably I don't know <laughs> I don't know what what do you think how how much what is the percentage that the author gets of a book? Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, I like some friends I could ask, but I, yeah, I don't know offhand. I couldn't. I mean, I would guess twenty percent, but sheer speculation. <laughs> This is a this is by far too much. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's I mean, yeah, it, it's 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 simply terrible. I mean, yeah. it it probably differs from from one uh, uh, company to to the other, but it's it's never good. I mean, it's just if you calculate uh, 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 what you what you earn per hour, this is it's definitely um, clearly under minimum wage. Clearly, yeah, it's true. So. And, um, it doesn't make sense in the long run. <laughs> so with books ruled out, how do you um, st structure your business? Like how much of it comes from YouTube revenues versus actual teaching versus like the streaming stuff? Um, mm. Yeah, well, um, I don't, I don't really, um, with 
streaming is something that uh, happens a lot on Twitch and um, you have um, you have people like donating during your streams. I don't do that at all, actually, because uh, simply lack of time. I don't don't see um, I, I simply don't have the time to do that. Um, but, but what I do is, and this is um, something that will happen a lot more in the future, I do publish chess content on other channels. I have published now um, two um, opening repertoires on, on Chessable, which is a very nice website to learn openings. Um, and I also have published uh, some things um, on Chess24 in video form. Yeah, They basically um, yeah, asked me to do a video series on the English opening or on the Spanish opening. And I publish things there in video form. What I will do in the future is actually to publish more video series um, through my own website, which is currently uh, in the making, um, because I want to do more content. Yeah, I, I, I love to teach, but it's a, a great thing to produce chess content also in addition, because this is something that I can do like in between lessons, basically. Yeah? You have like two hours time and what to do. Okay, let's analyze a little bit and create some content uh, mostly it will be on openings so this is something that i want to do more in the future and uh, um in if possible mostly um on my own website uh, and um they yeah, are not through other people's websites because this is just economically um, it makes the most sense economically there is very little um add-on quality wise that a web that a, a different website or publisher could could add you just produce things and um it's, it's it's the same thing. It's the same product. If I publish it, or if some some other website publishes it, so I want to want to get get to this situation that I'm the the publisher. It's the same thing that like you you interviewed Simon Williams. Yeah, he also does his Ginger GM DVDs and and things like that. It's it's, it's basically what I want to do as well. Probably not DVDs, but uh, the same kind of uh, distribution way, basically. Yeah, well, in a sense, it's it's the fruits of all the labor you've done in building up an audience. If you know, if you don't have an audience, then um, a publisher or a chess website that's going to um, sell your content can bring you the audience. But since you already have that built, it definitely makes sense mm -hmm. to, to control the distribution. Yeah, and it has one 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 big advantage. Also, uh, you set uh, your own deadlines, which is quite quite nice. I, I've I've worked uh, like this 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 years in the bank yeah seventeen years that was basically uh, seventeen years of keeping deadlines right and, and uh, it's uh, if you if you are your own um, like your own distributor uh, you know okay I need to finish this product uh, like in the next one or two months but it does not have to be exactly on a particular day and you can kind of uh, also yeah once in a while you're working on a project and you you kind of you get to the point where you simply cannot see this anymore. You're just like, ah, yeah, I need to do something else. And then you like yeah, put it in the corner and do something else. Yeah, and then you get back to it. This is what this is this happened to me with my book project a lot because if you do a book on the Nimzo for two years, yeah, you get to the point where you simply cannot stand to see it anymore. <laughs> so right. and switch around a little bit. Um and in terms of uh putting your content on your own website will that be in place of youtube or in addition to it no in addition of course i would always do the. i mean i have this the daily blitz videos um something that uh, i i continue i will continue to do anyway because uh, i love to play uh play blitz jazz and um 
It also keeps me, I think it keeps me sharp in a way that I always continuously play a little bit. I can try out openings in the Blitz games. This will always happen. But um, I really want to have this additional um, yeah, way of distributing uh, my own content that I can like uh, create myself and where I'm, I'm the sole uh, responsible person for what's in there. Yeah. Sometimes you have situations if you do content for websites, they want to have it in a certain specific way. And um, you think like, hmm, really? Okay. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, it, it's just nice to be responsible yourself for, for the things. But um, YouTube will never um, be shut down, absolutely. That's good to hear. Um, do you find it challenging to talk while you're playing Blitz? Do you think it hurts your playing ability at all? It, it hurts a little bit, but now I'm so much used to it. I'm, I'm almost, uh, it's almost weird to me if I don't talk. Right. Know? Yeah, it really becomes second nature. I mean, I, I'm... I am on 4,100 something games. Yeah, I just recorded 4,124, like right before the interview. And I also have tons of Blitz games, like from the weekly sessions. I must have been, I certainly am well above 5,000 Blitz games with commentary. It's just, uh, it's just a normal thing to do. I never play Blitz games online without commentary nowadays. Makes sense. I mean, you produce so many. That, uh, it... Yeah, simply, simply. I mean, once in a while, I play a, a game um, um, to warm up before I actually record a video. Sometimes I feel a little bit mm, like, okay, let's play one game and uh, just see how it feels like, and then I, I. This doesn't happen all that often. Sometimes I feel a little bit off, and I feel like, okay, let's warm up a little bit. But other than that, I always um, sometimes if I play an over the board blitz game. I have this little voice in my head, you know, what I what I would say now. If it right. wasn't <laughs> Just don't <laughs> say not, it out loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, 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 it, it doesn't happen, but it's really a bit strange. But it's um, okay. The, the, I mean, we are all creatures of habit, yeah, and uh, my habit is talking, <laughs> talking right. during escapes. <laughs> anyway, um, so you seem you're pretty strong for an IM. Uh, I think this question came up on Reddit, but do you have any aspirations of? Uh, pursuing the grandmaster title mm, I, don't, I don't know about pretty strong i think it's, it's fairly fairly normal rating but um no i don't have i don't have any clear ambition there it's a it's a matter of focus really i think um okay everybody is different i think there are people who are on my rating level um who have a, a larger clearly larger potential and they just need to like play a couple of tournaments and do little things to maybe get to that level. But I'm not one of those persons. I think my current level, this 2,440 or something that I'm, that I'm at, um, my, my actual maximum, what I could achieve, is maybe like exactly getting to GM somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's just like exactly this kind of barrier that I could maybe break, but it's very, very, it's, it's, it's 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 it's, clo it's it's tough. It's it's really tough for me, and I would only be able to do it if I would uh, completely focus on actually becoming a better player, not about uh, like just playing more or doing little things with the game. I really would have to like um, yeah, step it up, a real clear step up, and and I don't see that happening without a really tough um, training um, training program 
that I don't have the time for. I mean, maybe I could find the time, but that would, would be uh, like, yeah, doing absolutely nothing outside of chess, like nothing. Right. And this, 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 this gets, I, I don't, I don't see it. Uh, I, I don't see it. And uh, the other thing is that it also would mean that I have to play lots of, I mean, may, much more tournaments because um, I'm not the kind of person, as I said, like play two tournaments, make a norm. I would need plenty of tournaments. And um, I, I like, as I said, I like to, to, to travel to some places and, and play, um, play a tournament, but I don't like to play 10 tournaments a year. This is just not not my my. I, I like to be at home, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not what what I'm really totally happy with. I mean, there are people who really think this is. Uh, people are different. Um, some some people just love to travel from tournament to tournament, and it's not actually my my dream scenario. Yeah, um, um, this is something that you need to find out for yourself. I played a a round robin GM tournament early twenty fifteen. And it was in 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 January, uh, and it was in the in the Mediterranean Sea, Mallorca, nice nice island, pretty beautiful place. But it was in January, and in January there was no it was it wasn't sunny. It was rather cold, and the the whole island was completely deserted. Yeah, I mean you have like you have like ten uh, ten restaurants, and nine of them are shut down. And I was going there for this, this this tournament, this chess tournament, and it was the most uh, depressing experience ever. Yeah, you know, you you you're in a godforsaken place, and you only have this tournament to play on. I had there were no friends traveling with me, and so on. And I felt okay, I cannot do that. I, can, I don't want to stay in some godforsaken hotel to play a chess tournament after chess tournament in the middle of nowhere, and uh, really not. <laughs> Yeah, and there's no GM is an incredible accomplishment, but there's no there's no golden goose at the end of the road. You get the title and that's it, right? It, it's true. I mean, it would certainly. I mean, I would if 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 there was a way. I mean, this is like a purely. Um, it doesn't make much sense, but if there was a way, like yeah, you can do those like uh, um, diplomas at a university. Yeah, like you study a certain thing, you have an exam you can make or whatever. Uh, to to get this ultimate qualification in chess, let's say, this is something that I would consider because this is something that you also can uh, sort of yeah can calculate a little bit. Like okay, you invest this and that hours and you get it at the end. Yeah, it's like as I always say, if you want to uh, yeah uh, finish some kind of uh, yeah if you want to get a the PhD at something, you will get it. I mean, it's not a big deal. You just invest the time, you get there. And with chess. With the GM title, if you don't have this huge potential, it's difficult to plan. You can play well, but you can still lose in the final round because you're everybody is a moron sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Getting the norm and getting the the norms and the rating are separate challenges. It's, it's uh, I, it feels difficult to me. I mean, you always uh, or you often hear like on Reddit or other other um, I don't know forums or so that people say oh, the GM title. It's worth nothing nowadays. It's so easy to get, yeah. yeah <laughs> I don't ridiculous. think it's. I don't really think so. <laughs> I mean, I've played some good tournaments where I mean, you need this two thousand six hundred rating performance, yeah. And I've had tournaments where I had a rating performance of two thousand five hundred sixty or something. But there were other things. Um, I mean, it was not like I missed a norm narrowly. There was 
you need a certain amount of uh, foreign players and title players and so on. But I know when I played on a 2,550 level that this is like, it's not something that I can repeat easily. It's very difficult. Right. So, um, uh, yeah, I still think it's pretty difficult to do. But um, it is also a matter of, um, of, of, of base talent. There are people who have such an enormous base talent they really would need some some yeah some some coaching some playing and they would make it but i've always come from 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 work more than talent so i know it's it would be difficult for me okay yeah i was just curious because i i mean one you have good results online but also your rating is so close to its peak which i think is unusual for someone of uh, our age mm, yeah I, I gained a couple of points and like after i started my chess business uh I gained a couple of points uh, somehow. Uh, I don't really, I don't really know. Man, probably the constant working on the game, not on my own game, but like I'm in touch with chess like all the time. It it it, it seems to help a little bit at least. But um, yeah, I don't know. We we always fight age. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what what what's your age? I'm thirty nine. Yeah, so we're pretty pretty close there. What would you 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 you're a little bit below your your all time high? Oh yeah, um, in terms of USCF rating, which is you know more accurate for me because not every tournament I play is is international. Mm-hmm. I'm like 130 points off my peak, and you know I might be uh, you know I'm probably playing at a little bit better strength than that, but I'm not playing at my peak, and it would take a decent amount of work to get back to that. Mm. Yeah, you, I understand that you mostly uh, do work with with kids, right? In schools. Yeah. Yeah, and most of my students are aren't at a at a level where I'm like fleshing out ideas that help my chest. Mm. At least not right now. Yeah. I think I think um, that doing lots of um, work with beginners or or kids, this is probably not helping all that much. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I enjoy I like kids and I like teaching chess, so it's it's not that important to me. But yeah, certainly, certainly not uh not not great for my improvement. No, it doesn't. I mean, you, it's 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 important to um to be a little bit um yeah self analytical there. If you, it's interesting sometimes to to analyze your own your own chess. I mean, not your games per se, that but but what stops you from becoming uh, stronger? Yeah, I don't know if you if you asked that question to you really like honestly because this is an important thing. You need to really look at your games and and try to really draw conclusions about that. This is something that I only really um, did in the last couple of years. When I was playing before that, I was I was just playing, playing the games, looking at the games, trying to understand what went wrong in a certain game. But I never really made some, some clear conclusions about it. Like, what should I change? What kind of position types should I actively try to go for? You know, it's it's difficult. It's a different thing. Just looking at a single game or trying to make um, a real judgment about your game. What is actually wrong in a way? This is something, I don't know if you ever did that. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting to do. Yeah. You have to be very hard on yourself. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. But um, it, it can help. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. It's like the micro versus the macro. Um. And then and, and sometimes you, you need... Um, um, you need some some insight um, um, from 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 other people or like some some advice. It, it, sometimes it's helpful. 
yeah, if you get some feedback uh, from 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 a teacher or something, it, it it can help. But sometimes it's just a good idea to sit down and really focus for a little bit of time and look at your games and try to find patterns, what you're good at and what you're not so good at. If you really want to improve your results quickly, it's a good idea to try to. It sounds very basic, I know, but steer the game towards position types that you that you're good at and avoid the ones that you're not so good at. This sounds very basic, but people don't do it all that often. Yeah, no, it's it's very good advice. I think it can be a challenge. Like for example, if you're if you have a tactical um if you're more of a tactical player mm-hmm. but you get black against the English or something, I um or like uh the London or um the ready or something like that, I just feel like there's there's only so much you can do. At some point you just have to get better at all aspects of the game. Sure. I mean, being a one-trick pony is always tricky, but while you're trying to get away from the one-trick pony, you should try to get the positions that you can that you are good at. Yeah, the awareness certainly can't hurt. I mean, it has to. It, it's 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 helpful. I mean, it took me years, really years, to understand what kind of position types I should go for and what I should avoid. Really years, and it only really um, arrived really. Right. It became clear to me in the last couple of years that a couple of things I absolutely have to avoid. And maybe this helped to gain a couple of rating points in the last couple of years that I've avoided some position types that I really suck at. Yeah, so you've said that, that you feel like tactics are the weakest part of your game? I'm not a particularly good calculator. No, not at all. And I always, um, I also always feel very uncomfortable if people attack me, especially the king. Mm-hmm. Yeah, other other things are not so. I'm not so worried if they play against my queen side, but if they attack my king, I always feel I get nervous. Yeah, and those kind of things to to understand that you're good at a certain aspect of the game and very bad at another one, that can help tremendously because one weak spot, like as I said now in my own case. I'm not playing well when my king is attacked. If you if you get to this this inside, you can, for example, choose your openings much more confidently. Because with my with my typical uh, problem, like my king should not be attacked, I can completely exclude a huge a whole bunch of openings. I, I never need to look at the Sicilian dragon. I just never need to worry about it because I'm getting checkmated there all of the time. Right. Yeah, or I can forget about the classical King's Indian with white where people play F5, F4, G5, G4, G3. They will always checkmate me because I cannot defend this stuff. Yeah, you know, this this makes it easier. Just just try to find good spots in your game and bad spots. And if you see, if you really realize, okay, I'm totally suck at this, then you have to avoid it like the plague. It helps tremendously. And it also helps to avoid looking into opening and position types that you know at the end you're going to suck at. I have given up on openings like the dragon or the night dwarf or something like that because people will checkmate me. I know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, so this is helpful. It's yeah. just this by specific thing. I do feel like you've you've helped me, so thank you for the the free mini lesson. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um and uh, unless you have anything else you you want to talk about, I think um, we've we've laid a good foundation for people who want to know what you're about. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it was very enjoyable um, talking to you. By the way, what I wanted to ask, you also do a lessons over Skype? Uh, I'm think I haven't yet. I'm thinking right now. I just do lessons live, but um, I may mm. I may start doing them on Skype. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. One thing that I wanted to wanted to mention, and, and this is I think uh, something that um, wasn't clear to me at all before I started um, uh, started this, this this business. I always was a bit skeptical beforehand about those Skype lessons. I was always thinking, hmm, is that really something that um, does help people in the, to the same degree that an over-the-board lesson does. And what I really learned is that um, that doing a lesson over Skype is usually more effective than over-the-board, actually. Oh, interesting. This is something that, that is really an interesting experience, and I'm, I'm, I'm totally honest there. I think um, this the Skype session is usually, um, it's a little bit more... How do you call it? It's a bit more, a bit, a bit less casual than over the board. Yeah, over the board, it's it's of course from a personal level, it's nicer. Yeah, you, yeah, do you want a coffee? Do you want a sandwich? Whatever, it's a little bit nicer. Yeah, to be to be there in person, right? But from the pure chess content, well, what you manage to do in a certain amount of time, the Skype session is just as good or even better, because you are not distracted by anything. You completely focus on it. And one thing that uh, we have to say nowadays is that the technical possibilities online are really excellent. Yeah, I usually do the lessons on leeches, and um, this website it stores every single move that you enter during the lesson, so it just doesn't get lost. You know, I mean, right. if you if you are over the board, you sometimes take notes. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but. Uh, Lots of things are just like put on the board and the student says, oh, that's interesting. And then they maybe record it, maybe not, but they don't have um, something that, that like online where they can just go into the website and check the exactly the same position again. It never gets deleted or anything. It's just a great point of reference to, to go back to. And online, one advantage is, and it's a bit sad, but you can you can check in, in some cases, you can check it with the computer. Right. It's, it is helpful. Yeah, of yeah. course. I try to avoid the, the engine use in the lessons because we have to think for ourselves. But once in a while, you come, just it's a wild position, and I sit there and I have no idea. Come on, let's ask the, the bloody engine what it, what, it, uh, what it says about it. And then you can switch it on, and you have a clearer picture. So this is something that I really learned. People often are skeptical about online lessons, but I don't really think it's um, it has any disadvantage over um, compared to over the board. So uh, I also always encourage test teachers to try online because it is uh, it's really uh, not a big deal at all. You will feel that it is just as effective or even better than than over the board. Okay, that's good advice. I think I'll I'll try it out. Yeah, I definitely am one of the people that had just sort of a natural aversion to it, but you make, mm -hmm. you make some strong arguments. I mean, I totally, I mean, uh, I have a couple of um, students over the board and I totally love those sessions. It's just nice. It's just nice to to, to, to talk to, to, to real people. <laughs> you know? But it's it's simply unavoidable to, to have those, um, and not unavoidable is the wrong word, but I, I have um, people interested from all over the world in lessons. So. You have to do it over Skype, and it's not bad at all. You have the webcam nowadays. Yeah, you, you see people's reactions. It, 
it works. It just works very well. Okay. Um, good to know. And in terms of wrapping up, you, you mentioned you have uh, people wanting lessons from all over the world. If anyone's interested, are you taking new students right now? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, it's not like I can take like 10, 10 or so. Right. There's always a little bit, uh, there are always possibilities. And um, even though sometimes uh, I don't, um, I had uh, recently had an inquiry and we simply didn't find the time that that would match up. Right. Because um, it, it can just happen that there are limited time uh, from, from, from both sides and uh, there are only time slots that are already taken. But um, usually we will find something. I'm fairly flexible with, uh, with my, my teaching time. <laughs> Okay, great. So listeners can look for uh, Chess Explained on YouTube. Um, you're on Twitter as well. Anywhere else people can look for you? Um, yeah, well, my website is in the making. It should uh, it should pop up <clears throat> pretty soonish. I hope in the next two or three weeks. So that will also be a way to to contact me when the website is finally online. Okay, well, well, thanks a lot, Christoph. I really appreciate all of uh, the the good advice and hearing your story. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Thanks for listening to Perpetual Chess. To hear more episodes, give feedback, or suggest guests, go to perpetualchesspod.com. If you like the show, please help me out by telling your friends and giving me a high rating on iTunes. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.